Welcome to the Wise Men Say podcast for another podcast that isn't about football hooligan films um, or football hooligan television programmes for that matter. Um, this one is about serious things that have been happening in the world of Sunderland AFC over the last few weeks. Um, I'm joined by Tom Walsh. Uh, yeah, sorry, um, not presenting any hooligans for you today. I know, it's a bit disappointing. Um, I mean, they could be ructions. Um, they might be, <laughs> you know, depending on how things go. Um, and maybe we could send somebody down to... I mean, of the wise men say team, who would who would be the top boy? Obviously, Stephen. Ob- who would, obviously, Stephen. And then who? Um, I don't, well, Mickey Loff. I yeah, reckon probably he could Mickey. Be, yeah, he looks quite handy. Yeah, probably, probably um, Mickey. And then Matthew and Rory could be like the lookouts, the little like weedy kids that just like yeah. shout, like mouth off a lot, but don't actually get involved. Yeah, I mean Gary, I guess could oh, probably yeah. turn. He probably knows he probably knows people who could do some damage. You know what I mean? He's like got that vibe. Like he wouldn't get involved yeah. in the ruckus himself. He would just like you know call in a favour, and then one dark evening. They would meet their demise. Um, we don't want to kill them. Gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a light, mild kneecap, something like that. Um, yeah. But later in the um, show, we've got um, our resident um, finance expert, some might say, um, Chris Weatherspoon is going to be chatting with um, Kieran Maguire of the Price of Football. Um, some of you might be aware of. Their podcast, his podcast, um, I think it was Kevin Day primarily, um, just kind of discussing all football club finance. He's a football finance lecturer, I believe. So he's going to have a chat with Chris about everything that's gone on um, off the pitch at Sunderland in the last few days with regards to the you know the article that came out on Friday night, I believe it was, um, in the Times and the Daily Mail, basically suggesting there'd been there was a missing amount of money in Sunderland's um, account um, that could not be accounted for um, and um, they've obviously, the club have been challenged on, or the, you know, the ownership have been challenged on this, you know, where where has this money gone? Um, now, it's been discussed in an element of, the thing is this is again, the, the way it's a weird thing, isn't it, where we talk about the speculation, but this is all stuff that's being put into the public domain by the owners themselves, um, in in the the way they've spoken about situations and you know how they came to acquire the football club and the money that they used, um, you know essentially was the parachute payments were used to pay Ellis Short for the football club um, and that money was going to be paid back um, and then it was well we might be able to pay it back and then the article that came out or last week suggested that well. There's something in there that suggests they'd never have to pay it back. They're not obligated to, and they can write that debt off. Um, I mean, obviously, Tom, we we're not ITK or anything, but you, when no. you're involved in stuff, you tend to hear bits and bobs, and sometimes that can colour your opinion. But when you see it in black and white, and it, it's very sort of concerning about you know the future of the you know, of the club and and where where do we go from here. It's 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 incredibly uh, worrying, but it's something that we've like we've not like I say we're not really ITK kind of people, but we have heard like rumblings of this kind of this kind of 
business going on behind the scenes, and it's 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 not. It doesn't fill me with any form of like confidence that these people have the best interests at heart or ever did, and. Like the stuff that's been coming out today, um, obviously the Sunderland Echo have done like a Q and A with them, asking about um, well, about the revelations that came out in the Mail and the Times. But it's just kind of been, oh, that's confidential. That's confidential. It's not. Everything is another case of sweeping under the carpet, uh, like a kind of please stop digging, please stop asking these questions to us. A bit like. Well, a bit like what we see every day on the news. It's just like, can you please stop asking us these difficult questions? Because we don't particularly want to answer them. What we want to do, what would seem to be, um, what seems to be the case is, we just want you to just blindly follow, not along, and then we'll go off into the sunset. Um, and whatever's left of your club, well, like, have fun with that because, oh well, you know, and that Father Ted was like, well, I've had my fun, so what does it matter? It's it's really worrying, and we've seen the we've seen what's happened at Bolton, and we've seen what's happened at Berry, and it's one of these. It's like what's stopping us from being that next thing, that next club to be another catastrophe? Because from what I've read, from I'm getting that feeling that that's what's on the cards. Well, when we record these pods, what should happen ordinarily? Is that you put your phone in airplane mode, so you can see, um, so you can be aware. Well, nobody interrupts you. However, I was just I'd forgotten, and I was just about to do that. And there's a club statement on the website, so we've got some oh breaking right. breaking news. Oh so this is quite exciting. So sorry if my mic's a bit rubbish because I've had to take the muffler off to to try Let's and access this. I can't get it up on the on the internet. Does it? Um, is it? Is it a club so statement on being partners club, with club the club? Statement? No, it's not. <laughs> um, Following the recent reports published by the National Press, Sunderland AFC today moved to clarify several points that have caused severe and unwarranted arrest within the club's fan base. Over the weekend, Sunderland AFC opened up a regular dialogue with the Sunderland Echo and ought to draw a line under a series of sensationalist articles relating to Madrox ownership of SEFC. <laughs> this open and transparent process included providing the Echo with access to the club's accounts to ensure that any concerns pre-existing or raised as a result of the recent reports are put to bed once and for all. To summarise, Madrox provided the following answers to key questions put forward by the Sunderland Echo. Question, is Sunderland AFC debt-free? Yes. Will all parachute monies utilised by Madrox be returned to SAFC? Yes. Does this impact the sale of the club in any way? No. Are Madrox continuing to invest in the club? Yes. The full article can be viewed by clicking here. SCFC has been in dialogue with supporter groups to ensure any and all outstanding concerns are clarified. Following an extensive and repeated comment on the aforementioned topic over the past 18 months, no further comment will be made. Very catty, that, isn't it? Well, I mean, that's the way we tend to conduct ourselves in public, isn't it? It's like a, a scorned... They brought this all on themselves. Like, Yeah. The reason questions continue to arise is is purely because they've not been honest d- with us in the first d- place. Exactly. Well, whether it's a case of sorry, I'm fucking with Mike here trying to get the book. Going to say yeah. Apologies. There we go. There. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's an inaccuracies in in the in the statements that lead to discussions about well, 
it almost leaves every comment open to interpretation to the point where nothing means anything anymore. Yeah. And then you've got to pick whether you come down on the side of, well, give them the benefit of the doubt, or you you go down the other way, which I would I would suggest we, we I think we initially we did give the benefit of the doubt, but now it does feel as though that, you know, over the last sort of six to 12 months, that's, that change and that mood's changed generally, I would say. Um, so. Yeah. I think I think the what the people who um, because say this time last year where you know we're going to the playoffs and you know there could have been a sale. I think a lot of supporters were still very much um, in support of Stuart Donald and the the regime, but I think now and and there still was that notion it's like all oh, the you know. They are. They do have the club's intentions at heart. Yada yada. I mean, I personally wasn't one of those people. I saw the cracks. Well, I kind of lost faith in any of them as soon as Josh Madger walked out the door. But and and again, but I think now that people are more on the flip side. Whereas they could say, well, to me, they could say anything, and I don't. I wouldn't trust them. I wouldn't trust them. I wouldn't. Because it's just we'll hear one thing and then it'll go quiet and then the story will be completely different, and it's like and then there'll just be some like you know oh we were gonna we were gonna be sold but the coronavirus happened, and it's like I'm I'm sorry but I'm getting you get tired of just being fed mm. these lines that you're just supposed to like nod along with and th- this this stuff now is just like this statement's just like petulant kids. And, and again, like, like they, they talk about this, the, the way they're referring to it in, in you know, and they're saying, oh, we answered these questions yet. Oh, well, you went, like, Stuart Donald went on Radio Newcastle, um, you know, and, and stated that, you know, FPP had just had basically walked away. Yeah, they were um, investing in and then, and then today it's referred to as, um, you know, that that they are still involved in, in or they haven't walked away from the table or... You know, it's just so confusing. Um, you know, you were talking about Madrox and there's multiple investors involved in Mad- Madrox. That, well, Madrox is Sunderland AFC. Like, you can't... Like, the, the only the, the only organisation yeah, is sorry. is there to serve. It's, and now they're saying that, oh, well, there's, they've got other potential sport adventures. It's like, well, so what, is, what does this mean then? I mean, and, and, and moving forward, it's, well, if you're saying that, Madrox owes Sunderland is dead free, but Madrox owes Sunderland money. Yeah, and they intend to pay it back. But then they're talking about other potential sporting ventures. It's like, well, so you've bought the football club with the parachute payments, which you're not going to pay back. You haven't paid back yet, or you plan to over the next five <laughs> years. This five-year plan that's like magically appeared recently. Well, the next yeah, three years yeah. after promotion, promotion, promotion. So they're going to be belt in three years, aren't they? Um, but <laughs> Champions League. Yeah, but it's it's unbelievable because you think, well, you're talking about other sport and ventures, investors who have got involved. So you've got people investing money into Mad Rocks that presumably just pursue the possibilities of investing in other businesses that aren't Sunderland AFC. It's, but it's then infuri- it's like, well, but you've used, but wait, you owe Sunderland money. You've it, taken it infuri- our money and now you can't sell the club. You can't, sorry, Tommy, you can't sell the club <laughs> because. There's a big hole in the account, but you're not. You can't fill yet. Yet you, you, you're talking about channeling money from other resources, investors to potentially put in other sport and ventures. I mean, to me, 
That's just, I mean, maybe I've misunderstood it. It's difficult to digest it all. It's, it's almost, it's just gobbledygook some of the times. And you, it feels as though it's like a deliberate attempt to just like, you know, just red herrings all over the place. That's what it feels like, the point where you're just mentally tired of it and you just can't process it anymore. Well, I don't know. It's it's like the with the Madrox thing, especially. It's like the entire the only reason why Madrox was set up was to buy Sunderland. It's my understanding. And now, whenever any questions, well, the ones in the Sunderland Echo was like um, every mention about Madrox was like, oh, well, that's actually confidential. I was like, well, no, it's n-. right. I don't I don't know. Understand these business practices. I'm not au fait with that kind of kind of stuff. But if if to, we are to believe that this is the only thing that Madrox owns, apart from apart from now they have other sport adventures, which is a new one, then the stuff that goes on at Madrox is of interest of like Sunderland supporters yeah. and people like you know j- journalists and whatnot. And for them to say, "Oh, this is confidential," then it's just kind of like you you dodge you dodging a question. And it's, I mean, sorry, carry on, Tom. It's just it's just infuriating because it's like they said this club statement, this constant questioning. There hasn't been constant questioning. That's the, that's the thing. This is not being hammered as hard. It's like like all the stuff in like Newcastle with Ashley. It's it was like every single like day. This is like you get a raft of questions every time people realise what you're saying doesn't actually ring true of what you said another time. And it's it's how it's a it's oh god it is like the like the Tory government. It's like oh how dare you question this like strategy of ours when you rubes are just supposed to just sit there and take it. And I'm like I've got to the point now where it's like not only do I want them to leave, I want them to leave and not make a single penny out of this deal because they what they've done is it's just been like it's just been a complete mess from start to finish. And they have the gall to say you can't question, you, like we've tried to be transparent. That's not transparent, man. Even worse is it, it is it is a mentality of a certain type of person. I think where they, you know it's like, listen to me. This is what this is what I'm doing. You can't question it. If you do question it, you're a troublemaker. And if you're a troublemaker, nobody's going to give you the nice things that you want. That's that's oh, kind of like yeah. that. That yeah. is the message. It's like we'll we'll take your sweet sweeties away if you if you if you keep on being naughty. And that that is what it that is the mentality of these people, in my opinion. Um, well, it's, a, and, it's and the same. We've seen we've actually seen it. We've yeah. seen it demonstrated and displayed in statements from club officials who have essentially blamed supporters for putting people off buying the club, which is an absolute load of rubbish. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about the, the flat bat that the Echo have got here with these questions. Um, now, people, somebody might be able to straight away shoot this down um, if they're listening, so feel free to tweet us um, and say, no, that that's not accurate. I'm sure Chris would be able to if he was here. Um, but so that we know that Madrox's private matters are private matters. But it's a public, isn't it? It's a public limited company, isn't it? Uh, I think so. So does why if it's a, it, if it's and it's if it's on company's house and all the information is there, why why the matter's private? It's not a private well, company. It's, yeah, this it's is public. A, it's public. Yeah, it's, this is the so thing it's that a public kind of annoys company. me. So surely, if it's yeah. a public company, then these this information that they're saying is secret. I mean, 
the only the only the only sport and venture sporting vehicle that Madrox has invested in at this stage is Sunderland. So I think yeah. you know, I think supporters do have a right to know who are these other investors that are involved in Madrox. Like and and you know, going back to the original point about well if there's you know, if you're taking money out of Sunderland to and then you're going to pay it back later, then what are the what are these people investing in? You know, it's it's it's, it's it's strange. It just adds. I feel as though that that kind of element just adds a more a little more. Like to me, it, it just adds a little more disappointment. I don't know what the word is. It's like it, it's a bit more fear around what's going on. Um, you know, we're told well, that these you know the, these people who beat the chest about being transparent every day of the week for months, all of a sudden the pertinent questions aren't 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 of interest to us. You know, why is that? Uh, it's I, I don't know, well to be honest I don't know but like as we're saying about like um like the way they've spoken to us about as fans it's like well it's the the reason why we don't have a new owner is because of this uh, you know the toxic fan base well you saw it Charlie Methvin in that documentary how him opening the entire fucking like program saying oh, if it's, if you don't if it's not working here it's the worst place to be in the world I mean that's that's rubbish. But it's like it's the say it's the familiar tropes, and this is why I'm quite worried because it's the the familiar tropes that were trotted out by people like Ken Anderson at Bolton, Stuart Day at Berry, um, Steve, um, Steve Dale at Berry, where there was all like he would he would pit. Well, we've already had that pitting fans against one another. We've already had that kind of. We've already been through that phase, and now it's just a case of well, and now it's like. It's it's constant like Steve Dale to this day he's saying that he's trying to sell Berry, and like Ken Anderson was even when oh it's all oh, we've got we've got like an owner lined up and this is the same this is the same thing that's happening, and it's like oh there's always like oh there's always one of people that want to buy us this 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 is the mm. like this we've got people queuing up but it's like we've heard the the club said in the the Southern Echo thing that the the valuation has been met several times and yeah, that yeah. Uh, and that the um but the the board didn't feel they were the right people but it's but then these conflicting reports from journalists who say the valuation's oh. never been met because the valuation's too high and that's the and the daily well in the daily mail it was saying yeah. the reason why is this 20 million hole that for now for some reason i don't even know how you do this in a business practice how you have a a debt and then you with an obligation to pay it back because that's a debt but now it's like oh we don't need to pay that back now so by the end of it they're going to have paid like pretty much nothing to own it like we might get onto this like a bit later but the fact that Juan Sartori alleged like reportedly bought the bought his stake for a pound but then they're saying he's invested millions I it's just. I mean, we don't. Everyone seems to invested millions, but like we keep on having to borrow money off everybody else. This, this is the thing that these things don't add yeah. up to the. You know, maybe I'm just incredibly uneducated from a business perspective, like or everybody in yeah. the, in Sunderland. Um, I mean, the asking price is private but flexible within reason. Why don't you just say how much? You know, if you want to have a conversation, it's how much it costs. I mean, maybe that's incredibly naive, but. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. It's like the the figure touted at Newcastle was always in the domain. 
So well, I don't it, know why. It, you know, Ours no, can't. Yeah. I just hear this this whole thing. It's like, oh, we've promised to pass the club on to the best owners we can in the best condition we can. And just like the replacing of parachute monies, this is a promise we intend to keep. <laughs> we, we, we are trying to achieve this, but when there is no certainty in the world, never mind football, it's not as easy task. Well, this has only been going on for eight weeks, lads. So, like, you know, what's happened in the last eight weeks? I mean, there's this magical five-year plan that's appeared out of nowhere that wasn't <laughs> mentioned, like, before until recently. Every, everything's ahead. We're all we're ahead of, we're ahead of, like, you know, ahead of plan and the academy. We're ahead of plan financially. It's And how can they, how can they say that a, a potential sale is not affected if... The stumbling block is the fact that this money is not there, and they'd be, people don't want to buy the club to fill that void. You know, essentially, you're just giving giving these people money that they haven't really earned, in my opinion. So, you know, they haven't earned it yet. They haven't done a good enough job yet. Um, you know, if they put that money in themselves up to now, and they were asking what they're asking, but it's not like there's, there doesn't appear to be an adjustment. You know, based on the fact that this money is, well, I don't know wherever it's gone. But apparently, I mean, <laughs> everything's fine though. Apparently, so we don't. We're, we're too. We're asking too many questions that they don't like. So and everything's fine, and we've just got to shut up. Um, that that's the crux of it, though, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. we don't. We we as uneducated thickos from the northeast of England. Uh, we don't know anything about all these magical, complex business dealings, and it's it's kind of like, oh shit, the the thickos have worked us out. Now what do we do? Mm. And this this kind of notion that it's like everything's fine. It's like it's not. It's like if, is this how like Stuart Donald runs his bridal insurance, just with like like major flaws, and then he just goes around telling everyone that everyone is fine. Is that because I don't think he he'd actually run his own business like he's running Sunderland, if he was any good at business. I mean, he might be. Who knows? It, it's just again, it's it's it's. And the question is, is this is this stuff that's come out this afternoon going to be enough to placate people? You know, you is mean it the statement? Be enough again? Yeah, well, not so much the statement, but the bit in the echo. Is that going to be enough just to make people go, oh, see, like they're doing a fine job? Give them a chance. People are piling on when they shouldn't be. You know, will will this be enough? Or an, you I know, really has the straw brought the camels back? And you know, it just feels all oh, this is not there. We're not going to hit. This is not going to finish now. There's going to be more that that is going to come out. It's it's not just going to stop because they've said these things and they've said they won't comment further. It's like, well, you will be commenting further. Yeah. I just think and you have to keep on coming out and telling people. We never had this under Ellis Short. We didn't. Like, like no. people that have yeah, people have valid questions about the way that Ellis Short ran the football club. But he didn't have to come out every three months and explain stuff away. We didn't have that under Bob Murray. We didn't have that under Drummerville, where people were having to come out every every two minutes. Like it was, it's so regular in eighteen months. If you think about the time there. Where the club have had to come out and rubbish sensationalist articles and sensationalist headlines. Well, it's just it's like just, I mean, it's, it's all about sensationalism, you know. Not being funny, but like the things that they've said since they've come in, we've got some goal to accuse other people of being sensationalist. Well, we could we you could know. we've got a li- found we 50, have 50 million pound, yeah, fifty million quid in my piggy bank, or oh, I've um, 
<laughs> you know, hundred po- hundred point season. You know, uh, no Roy Keane uh, was it? You know, he'd be have Roy Keane would be here in a heartbeat. Me, yeah, uh, things like you also- know these sorts of things I get said. Sorry, but nah, you you can't go around accusing other people of being sensationalist when you know you've been key instigators and in all of this and to put it on it- there. The, the the people who support the football club which is absolutely disgusting. It it has been like um it what you say about the past eighteen months they have to come out and um, rubbish these stories. It's just the hallmark of an incredibly dysfunctional, badly run football club. And I think it has been from the day day it started because it's like no CEO and no chairman He's going to just come off straight off the bat while you're in League One and saying, "Oh, we've got a budget to rival like teams that like, teams in like the Championship would be envious of." Because first of all, that just says to everyone around you, right? If they put a bid in, just make it whatever because they they've apparently got loads of money, yeah. which is what Wigan did, and it's 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 just they've just been shown up as complete amateurs within this whole thing, and then. They couldn't even state why, how they bought the club, and how they've actually bought it. It's kind of gambled away. It's gambled away our future because it's like the parachute payments are not not designed for owners, for some fly-by-night owners to come in and buy the club. They're meant to there to stop you, to stop you going bust. And to have to deal with the loss of income from dropping mm. down divisions, they're not meant for two fellas from down south to come up and just buy buy it and then blame everyone else when it starts going tits up. We said yeah. we said this. We said this. I don't know if we said it public, like on a podcast, but we definitely said it privately. Even in the good times, which in the first couple of months of the season, where we were winning loads of games, they still they were still having to apologise for doing stupid things like calling us parasites and stuff like that. And we'd said at the time, if this starts going badly, they're going to have to answer for a lot of things. And little did we know at the time that this that it wasn't just their manner and how they treat people that was going to be the issue. It's the way they bought the club and the way they finance it. And you're right, they're going to have to answer to lots in the future, in the coming weeks, because, first of all, there's no news, so we're the only story in town at the moment, apart from maybe Newcastle. And, like, Chris's, Chris's article that went up on Wise Men Say, that's been picked up by like national journalists and been shared by national journalists. The Times and the Mail know there's something up. The Sunday Echo know there's something up. And you don't know if other like major outlets are going to do a bit of digging and see what's happened to this team that was in the Premier League a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it's about time somebody did, you know, and we can't, you know, again we can't have a situation where you know the owners are allowed to to pin the problem on on the club supporters because you know, it's, it, they've they've been given the back like a universal backing based on nothing. You know, they were given it on on their word. That's what they were given. A, you know, they were treated like heroes, and they had, oh, yeah. they didn't deliver a thing. So, you know, you can't you know go around telling people that the supporters are you know to pe- the the reason why we can't sell the club. You know, it, it's just it, it's all. You know that just again. I think this. I'm sure Chris and 
And uh, Kieran will come on to, you know, in far more detail than we'll be able to ever possibly discuss it. But everything, yeah. you know, the numbers that are coming out um, on that on that echo piece and things like that, you know, they're going to be analysed by. You know, I know there were some comments about four supporters who are not accountants and stuff like that. It's like, well, that's lots of supporters, and but there are people out there who are, in, like you say, are interested in what's going on here, and oh, yeah. they're going to be answer, they're going to be answerable to them. And the only thing yeah. sometimes you, when you get to the stage where you have to, and if you think about how quickly mm-hmm. our owners at times have turned to discrediting people rather than debate debating problems, um, you know. Why is that? You know, you have to create an enemy. You have to tell everybody that somebody or some people are against you. And those ekabal of supporters who are against the football, working against the football club, all this kind of thing. You know, you haven't earned the right to say things like that yet. You've only been here two minutes. You haven't done enough, you know, to to say things like that. Um, But it's happened so frequently again, like 18 months. You know, there's a reason why it's deflection. They were welcomed as heroes, you know. Yeah, they were welcomed yeah. as heroes, and it's like they were given every like. Don't get me wrong; I wanted them to succeed more than anything, because after back-to-back promotions, I was willing to take a punt on pretty much anyone, and that's kind of that's my naivety at that. But like I said, they said the right things. But what it what it transpired to be was just a load of like, well, horseshit, and it's and to say and to say that. It's now oh, like the, I remember the cabal of supporters comment. It's just like we've given you so many chances, and not only have you failed, you turn it around and say it's our fault. And it's like, and now it's now it's just a case of like just stupid statements. Like uh, once the Tory is now going to move to this might be true by the way, but he doesn't sound it. It's like he's going to move to London and going to live in London despite having been uh, voted to be in the Uruguayan Senate. I mean, I'm no expert on this, but if my senator... Yeah. (laughs) Do it on Zoom. In London, yeah, Zoom. Absolutely. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe that's what a quid gets you nowadays. I mean, well, you know, how many times have you heard, like I was saying, like earlier, it's like Juan Sartori's middle name might as well be, you will be seeing a lot more of from now on. Because that's all you ever hear. <laughs> yeah, Juan, what did he oh, do? You'll, you'll be seeing you'll be seeing a lot more of him moving forward. So you say that every three months, like he's <laughs> never there, like he's never around. And then because it's he's... tallied with this tallied with this document, which which some experts have explained in a different way. To be fair, so it might some people say well it could be insignificant, but it just doesn't look good when you tie it all together. Got this bloke who, you know, has been. He was there a lot at first, and then kind of disappeared. Like you sort of, you know, this five-year plan. You know, we're two years into it now. You know, where, what's he going to do? It's taken him two years to move here. You might as well not bother, mate. You might as well just stay where you are. <laughs> well, what's the point if he's going to get more involved if they're going to sell it anyway? And why is he moving just... to London anyway? Should be moving yep. to you know, who's Sunderland? <laughs> <laughs> move to Bolden. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just. It's like what they said about the five-year plan. Like QPR have like always have jokes because they had a documentary out called the five-year plan, where their owners, those like madcap like uh, Italian, well, I think they're Italian. 
owners came in and they were they yeah. like smashed through about like ten managers in a season or something ridiculous. And now like the term five year plan is always seen as some kind of like joke. And yeah, now obviously obviously we're in one. <laughs> I'm sure I remember the. Um, I could be wrong about the people involved. But I'm sure there was like, was it Laurie? Was Laurie Sanchez the manager of QBR? Uh, possibly. I remember Paulo Souza being brought yeah, in. I remember at some him. Point. Yeah, he was there. But I'm trying. I'm sure. I'm sure. And he was like the the, the one of the directors was like kind of t- telling the uh, manager like to make substitutions, and he was like yes. sending people down the dugout. And was he trying yeah. to get him to bring? He was like, bring Dean Marnie on, bring Dean Marnie on. <laughs> he was like sending this like minder down from like the stands to go and speak to the manager, telling them to make a substitution. <laughs> well, yeah, like, yeah, but, but I know we've digressed there slightly, but you know we're probably not that far away from that. To be honest, no. I mean, if you look at the Just... way the manager situation was handled, I mean, no. there's definitely a there's definitely a line that's being crossed there in terms of your board uh, boardroom level to to on the pitch. Did you do you? Rec- I mean, I'm just purely speculating now. But do you reckon that after this this series of Sun Until I Die came out, they thought the only media requests they were doing would be like to be on like I'm a celeb or like yeah. uh, in the jungle or something? Yeah. Have I got and news like, for you? Yeah, it's like oh wait, no, someone's going to actually uh, ask about the finances of how we bought this football club. Oh no, no, those are sensationalist reports. Yeah. Just, just bullshit. Just bullshit. I mean, we've probably gone as far as we can go there, and in, in terms yeah. of the, you know, we don't, we haven't got the financial expertise. But Chris, um, Chris Weatherspoon, whose article should be available on WisemanSay.co.uk. Hopefully, we've had some issues with the website. Um, but at an ideal time to have an issue with the website, um, you know, get on there and, and read his piece um, if and when you can. Um, and here's Chris um, who caught up with Kieran Maguire. Um, from the price of football um, to discuss everything that's been going on at the moment um, in terms of Sunderland's finances. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to a very special, well, I suppose a very special segment of the um, the Wise Men Say podcast. Um, if you don't recognise me by now, I'm Chris Weatherspoon, and you will be glad to know that I'll be asking questions this time, so hopefully I won't be speaking too much. Um, and that is because in light of the news that came out of, well, it didn't come out of the club, I suppose, it came out of um, the Daily Mail and the Times uh, last Friday evening, we decided it would be good to get um, an objective voice on the matter. And who better than um, Mr. Kieran Maguire, who is um, 
his Twitter handle is The Price of Football. His book is The Price of Football. And he uh, now um, co-hosts the excellent Price of Football podcast with Kevin Day, which, if you haven't heard it before, I would very much recommend. Uh, Kevin, how are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm grand. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks, thanks for the invite. No, th- thank you very much for coming on. Um, I know you, you, uh, you're a very busy man with media requests, so thanks for taking the time. To, uh, to talk to us. Now, Kieran, just to confirm, you are not a closet Sunderland fan, are you? No, no. I uh, I work at the University of Liverpool. Uh, I, I work with two very, very keen Sunderland fans, uh, Professor Sue Bridgewater, who some people in Sunderland might be familiar with, and another lad, Jason, who uh, who's always uh, who's always grilling me for the latest uh, greatest news on the club. Okay, so you're a uh... You were dispassionate. Are you a Brighton and Hove Albion fan? Is that correct? That's right. Correct. That's right. So we've yeah. had we've had quite a few links with the club. Uh, Johnny Byrne. Uh, we we sold Johnny Byrne to you. So we've always had a, a soft spot for for Sunderland because he was he was worshipped at Brighton. He had two spells, and and he's now uh, he's now working in the NHS. Uh, I think uh, in in Brighton. I think oh, he's really? uh, is, is a physio or something like that. He's, he's a great guy, lad, Johnny Byrne as well. All round great guy. Excellent. Well, that's good because, um, like I said, the purpose of of this from our side really is um, obviously my. If you if you listen to this podcast or you follow me on Twitter, people will know my views on someone's current owners, and um, and I think a lot of the lads who do the podcast feel very similar. So the the aim really in speaking to Kieran is to get as unbiased, as objective, and as dispassionate a view as possible on. Um, on what's gone on, really. So I think the the starting point, Kieran, is obviously it's it's came out and the club have actually responded to this, so we're going to move on to that later on. But first things first, it came out in the papers on Friday evening that um, some of the FC who were, who were owed money um, by Madrox, who were the, the holding company, or sorry, the investment vehicle that the current owners set up to buy the club, it came out that... Um, the debt owed to the club from Madrox of um, a, a figure of £20.5 million has been written off. Um, just when you heard that news, what, what was your immediate reaction? What it, did First of all, I suppose the question is, um, did that strike you as odd? And second of all, um, if it did, did you was there anything that jumped out as to why they might do that? Um, well, it, it, it didn't surprise me. And I've got a confession here, Chris. I was sent that information at the start of March, right? Uh, but I've kept—I deliberately not said anything in public, but I didn't think it was appropriate to do so. I, I always leave it to to the, the journalists to break things of this nature. Um, it, it's not illegal, uh, you know. If if a, if a company wants to write off a debt, especially to uh, a partner company, that's that's perfectly legal. Um, but then I, I think the focus really should be on the motives, and um, I, I think it is. It is well known uh, that uh, the present owners want to sell the club and whoever's going to buy Sunderland Football Club will be looking at the assets that they were acquiring. Um, and uh, you know, included in those assets would have been an obligation from Madrox to pay that £20 million. Now, by writing off that uh, debt, it means that that obligation no longer exists. Um, now, you, you would expect anybody that was doing uh, due diligence work, anybody that was doing any form of investigation would have picked up on that fact, but not everybody, because 
Um, there have been examples of people acquiring football clubs. And, and I know you don't like to talk about them, um, <laughs> but there's a club not far away, the Sultan Mike Ashley, where he didn't look at any of the books. He just, he just went ahead and wrote out a check. Um, and he didn't actually know what he was buying. So it could be that, uh, that the present owners felt that there was a chance of being able to sell the club and people thought, well, the asking price sounds quite reasonable. I'm getting Sunderland Football Club and I'm going to save myself the costs of doing due diligence and just buy it as is. So therefore, they would have, they would have bought the club and they wouldn't have been entitled to receive that £20 million. So that's, that's one, one reason for it. Um, the reason given by the club, to me... It, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, the claim that it was tidying up the accounts of, of Madrox and helping FPP in their investment, and that was a condition laid down by FPP. Um, if, if I was involved with FPP, I would have simply said that uh, you know, when I come in and if I, if I lend Madrox £10 million, my debt takes priority over that of Sunderland Football Club, and, and, the, and the problem would have been sorted. So yeah. it, it just seems strange. Um, um, there's no there's no logical reason to do it unless you were trying to improve your profits from selling the club. Right. Okay. So essentially what it sounds like you're saying there is actually um, the benefit of doing this um, isn't necessarily with some football, some of the EFC. It's, um, it helps the people who are trying to sell it. Well, well it, it helps the people that are trying to sell this. If they are making a profit, let, let's say that they are trying to sell the club for £40 million pounds, and uh, they've also got to go and pay £20 million pounds back themselves. So therefore, they're going to get a net £20 million. If they've written off that debt, they sell it for £40 million. Pounds, they don't have to put anything back into the club. So therefore, they get a net £40 million, So therefore, that's going to increase their profits. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the logic. There, there, is, there, there is never any benefit to any business in in writing off debts you know if, if you're running a business yourself and somebody can't pay you that that's that's bad news you know that's that's the end and that's the you know that's the long and the short of it you know yeah. when, when ellis short sold sunderland to uh stuart donald uh, and charlie methan and whoever else um you know he wrote off 100 and, 170 million pounds of loans that that wasn't good for for ellis short it was exactly the same with the, the guy that used to own Bolton Wanderers, uh, Eddie Davis, he wrote off 175 million pounds. And now I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking good news about anything, but his kids therefore lost 175 million pounds when Eddie Davis died in terms yeah. of what was entitled to them. So, you know, the, the the people that are trying to claim that there's anything positive about it, I think those comments are misplaced. Okay, so so essentially, yeah, I mean, you touched on it there, but the the explanation from the club is that this was a condition of investment in Madrox by um, by FPP. Now, um, before we get into this kind of timeline of things, because I think there's some some stuff to explore there. You you said there that a much simpler way to um, to kind of assuage FPP would have been for them to say that their their debt takes priority can you think of any reason why let's presume that fpp are interested in at some stage taking a stake in Sunland bfc we do know for a fact that they were interested in a takeover last summer and for whatever reason it fell apart can you think of any reason why that 
would be a benefit to FPP to reduce the football club's assets by over £20 million? None at all. I mean, the, the only thing that FPP would have done is that you know, they are clearly a, a very professional outfit. Even if they, they would have simply said that if, if they knew that the £20 million was going to be written off, they would have reduced the price they were prepared to pay for the club by £20 million. Because yeah. they wouldn't have invested the ten million pounds to begin with, unless they had done some some form of background investigation into the affairs of the club. That they're, they're too professional an outfit to to not do things of that nature. Yeah, that's interesting actually that you talk about reducing the price because when the deal to take over the club fell through, one of the comments that the current owner Stuart Donald made was that um, the prices never change. Now I just wanted to like if you could shed some light for people on kind of when due diligence takes place, is it normal for people to find things and then both both sides to agree to a potential reduction in price if certain things come out of the woodwork? Very much so. Um, if, if we take a look at, say, another club which is, is presently close to a deal, um, that club might have an investigation by HMRC. Yeah. So let's say that I was willing to pay £320 million for this other club and having done my investigations, I felt that well, there's a chance that the that the, the the existing club might have to pay twenty million pounds as a tax penalty. I would reduce my my price accordingly. It's it's exactly the same as when you're doing a survey on the house. Let's say that you agree to buy a house for one hundred and fifty grand. You get the survey done, and they tell you that it's got dry rot and it's going to cost ten grand to fix it. What are you going to do? You're going to reduce your asking price by ten grand. So it's exactly the same in respect of a business, and it doesn't matter whether the business is a football club or a manufacturing club or a service company. Exactly the same principles. in In the long, long history ago, when I used to, uh, I used to be an insolvency accountant. So I used to buy, I, I used to sell companies which had gone bust. Yeah, part of the due diligence for any buyer, we'd show them everything. And, you know, they, they would be looking for indemnities. They would be looking for reasons to reduce the price um, because you had to be honest um, and above board in your negotiations. The only time when this doesn't apply is when you get somebody coming in on a whim who's, who's effectively just says, I'll, I'll just buy it as is, you know, sold as seen. Yeah. But, and, and there are some people of that nature, uh, you know, again, you know, using Newcastle as an example, that's what Mike Ashley did, but they're relatively few and far between. Okay. Thank, thank you for, for providing clarity on that. So I know um, I mentioned it just there, but let's let's see, let's take at face value um, the club's explanation that the only reason they've written this sum of 20.5 million off is that um, FPP have said, look, if you don't do that, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to invest in you to Whatever for whatever reason they're investing, are they in, they might be investing in something else to do with Madrox. Though we we currently know of no other assets that Madrox has, or they're investing in Madrox to to then invest in Sunland. Now <laughs> that deal with Madrox the loan, we know that that wasn't signed until October twenty nineteen. The explanation, uh, sorry, and the the accounts in which this write off appears only go up to July 2019. So there's a gap of three months. Now, um, some of the FC or Adrox have come out today and said, this is perfectly normal accounting practice. Um, things happen after the year end that uh, that need to be adjusted for. Now, I'm, I'm going to try to be objective here, but my, my understanding has always been that you only do that if the conditions are in place 
at at the reporting date. So in other words, this FPP contract needed to be signed as at the 31st of July, and then they could write this sum off. Is is, is that in line with, with your understanding? The deal wouldn't necessarily have to have been signed, but it, it would have had to be an advanced form of negotiation. So um, th- there must have been overwhelming evidence that uh, the, the write-off was required at the 30th of, 31st of July. Um, and, and then the subsequent investment by Madrox, uh, sorry, by FPP, um, would just simply finalise that. So um, it, it could be. It, it's unusual because what, what I don't what I don't understand is that if FPP were that far down the line at the thirty first of July to have been having discussions about writing off this debt, then surely they would have made the investment that much earlier um, yeah. after after that date. It shouldn't have taken another three or four months for what what you know. It, it doesn't it doesn't take you three or four months to organise a loan from a bank. So. Yeah. Why, why this particular uh, scenario with with these investors? Yeah, and I think what's important to remember is in that intervening three months, the extent of FPP's involvement changed. Like on the twenty second of August, it was reported quite widely that they were close to taking over. On the twenty fourth of August, they visited the stadium of light for a game. On I think it was the sixteenth of September, they set up a vehicle to buy the club that ultimately is now being struck off because it never got used. So would that suggest to you that highly unlikely that the conditions for this very specific loan wouldn't have been in place as at the 31st of July? Well, it, yeah, it just, it, it doesn't seem to add up, you know, by, by all means um, that they could have had a deal for a takeover and it, it would have made sense to an extent that they would have just paid, paid 20 million pounds less and, uh, you know, not bothered about the debt because they, they don't care. They, they're looking at the the net cost to them. Um, as they decided to not pursue a full investment, um, the, the write-off of the debt makes no logic to me because who are the beneficiaries? Um, FPP, I, I can't see how they're beneficiaries because if they've got any sense, they will have had their debts secured anyway, perhaps against the personal assets of the directors or uh, or they'll make their debt senior to, to that of the football club. Um, and, and therefore, the, the only people I, I can see who are the winners in this are the people who are trying to sell the club to a third party. Okay, thank you. So kind of... We're going to roll back two years here, but it's all, it is all linked. Now, obviously, when, um, when Stuart Donald and Charlie Metham sat in front of, well, not just the media, they sat in front of the watching Sunderland supporting world on the 21st of May 2018, they were very specific in saying that they had spent £40 million to buy the football club. Now, my my view, and I didn't really think about it at the time, but my view is that often when when people buy assets, and it, it applies to football clubs as well, they're not normally very vocal about how much they've spent. Like, I think unless you did quite a lot of digging around, you wouldn't know how much Ellis Short had paid when he took over from the Irish consortium, Drummerville. Um, but these guys came in and they were very adamant. We've spent £40 million, we're paying £40 million over two years, and, and they really kept hammering that home now. Since then, it's transpired that £25 million of that was to be club money. Can you think of any reason why they would be so keen to talk up this, the figure that they were 
seeing that they'd spent on the club at the time. Um, I think it's uh, it's part to do with the fact that they were trying to um, present Sunderland Football Club as, as a trophy asset that was worth a lot of money. So, you know, I, I don't know how much a painting is worth. I don't know how much you know a racehorse is worth. If if I go if I go to a, a painting gallery and somebody says, "Well, I've just paid forty million pounds for that painting," I think, "Well, that's a good painting." Then it must be. <laughs> if, if, it's, if it's only if only paid if it paid less than half that, then you you instantly think it's worth less. And and it's so I think they were trying to get a message across that they were significantly wealthy. They were, it was more to do with projecting themselves as being high flyers than it was to do with uh, the the nuts and bolts of the deal. Okay, that's interesting because obviously at the time um at the time that the the deal was announced but 3 weeks before they actually took over um they were announced as being a international consortium. Now obviously on day 1 um Mr Donald and Mr Methven were the only two people there and they were at the time, excuse me. They were the only shareholders in in well, Madrox and by extension, Sunderland. Now, obviously, a couple of months later, uh, one Juan Satori arrived, and we were we'll, we'll not go into we'll not go into the kind of the why we were told that he was spent that he'd spent three million pounds on twenty percent, and it actually transpired he only spent one pound. We won't go into the motivations behind why we were told something that appears not to have been the case. But you, you mentioned there um, that you think that talking about the, the purchase price on day one might have been to kind of show themselves in a, in a good light and show themselves as wealthy. Is it unreasonable to suggest that given one Satori a £1 share in the club's investment vehicle is kind of along the same lines? Um, well, it, it, it's possible. I mean, uh, uh, another reason for um, giving the price of the club as £40 million is it could have been that their plan was to flip the club within a year or two and that transpires that does appear the case so if people know that you've bought something for 40 million they know that you're going to be selling it for at least 40 million uh, so it's a bit like so i don't want to i don't want to lose money on my house so nobody's somebody's going to see what i paid for it two years ago they, yeah. they know that that's the absolute bottom price i'm going to accept that's right, right. whereas in, in effect if if the price was you know ellis short's receiving 40 million pounds um you as a Sunderland fan, if, if 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 the if the other information hadn't come to light, you may have thought, well, Stuart Donald's paid forty million, so he sells it for for you know forty one or forty two. He's made a little bit of money, yeah. but if he's only put fifteen in, sells it for forty one or forty two, and twenty five million pounds of the payments have come effectively via the Premier League, then clearly he's made more profit. But it, it, I think a lot of this has to do with appearance, um, and there's nothing there's nothing illegal with that at all. Yeah. Okay, so obviously um, we now know we didn't at the time, but we now know that um, that forty million, which which was revised down to thirty seven for various reasons, but we now know that um, that included Madrox borrowing um, twenty five million pounds from Summons twenty eighteen nineteen parachute payments. Now, is that? Uh, is that an ordinary deal? Is that is that something you frequent? You obviously you look at a lot of football clubs. Is is it frequent for new owners to 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 buy the asset using using income that the club would otherwise use for other purposes? Um, it it's not overly common. 
Uh, it has been suggested that Huddersfield Town's new owner has taken a similar approach. So Huddersfield was sold at the, effectively at the end of um, last season, uh, and clearly they had three years of parachute payments. It, that, that's not yet been proven one way or the other. Um, so it's it, it's something which is feasible. It's something which is legal. Um, I think from a moral and ethical point of view, it, I think people might take a different viewpoint. Right. It's, yeah, that that's an interesting comment because I think um, quite a few people, certainly before Friday's news, and I, and I think quite a few possibly still still think that are, are kind of under the impression that this was the way that the deal had to be. Like, no matter who bought something the FC, Ellis Short, despite what we were told on day one, wasn't actually going to take all of the debt. He was always going to leave £25 million behind that would have to be paid one way or the other. And as it was a club debt, it came out of the club's funds. Now, again, this, this is, this is, this is, is, is this, you, sorry, what I'm trying to get across is, um, you obviously, you have contacts within football. You talk to a lot of people from a lot of different clubs and I presume journalists and whomever else. Is it your understanding that the deal always had to be like this? Um, no, no. I mean, I think Ellis Short was looking to minimise his losses upon the disposal of the club. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate that the relationship between the Sunderland fan base and, and Ellis Short soured. And you know, as an outsider, you know, my observation would be he spent money. He spent a ridiculous amount of money on the club. Um, how wisely that was spent on his behalf, I, I think that's got to be questioned. And clearly, you, know, you, you as, as somebody that, that watches them week in, week out, can, can comment on that far better than I can. Um, <laughs> he, he was willing to sell the club at a significant loss to himself, but he was trying to re- you know, keep those losses to, to something which was bearable. Um, he didn't really care for the nature of the of the disposal. Um, it could have been that somebody had come in and offered thirty million pounds cash, but the club kept all of the uh, the club kept all of the parachute payments. Now that would have been a, a worse deal for him. So yeah. if if, uh, if if Donald and Methven came in and offered you know thirty seven, but some of this money will be repaid over two years in terms of of the cash flows from the parachute payments. Then, from Ellis Short's point of view, that would reduce his losses in terms of his involvement with the club. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Because, like I say, that is that is one of the um, perceptions that some people still labour under, and I, I just want to get your your view on whether or not that had to be the case. So, fast forward back to the present day. Um, look, he hasn't come out and confirmed it himself but it's been fairly widely reported it's certainly been reported on a website that i know for a fact one of the current owners of um of the club monitors and um, that the asking price for son of the fc if we remain in league one uh this summer which it looks almost certain that we're going to is 35 million pounds now taking into account that we aren't you Typical League One club. We've got a big ground. We've got Category One academy. Kind of putting you on the spot here a bit, but do you think that's a fair valuation of the football club? Um, well, Wigan was sold just before Christmas, and they were a club in the Championship um, for eighteen million. Now, Sunderland's a bigger club than uh, Wigan. Nobody's doubting that. Uh, Charlton were also in. You know, I appreciate Charlton's a sensitive subject, but Sund- uh, Charlton <laughs> was sold for a pound. Right. Okay. And so to clarify yeah, that, as well. Sorry, go on. 
So a Sunderland worth £35 million, um, you'd have to take a look at to see what, what assets and also what liabilities. I mean, one of the things that, that you can say, which is, which is fair to the present owners, is that the club is relatively free of debt, although how, how the debt's due from Madrox to FPP would, would enter the equation, if at all, we don't yet know. So £35 million for a League One club, um, is is towards certainly the, the the top end of the scale. Um, okay. Wolves were bought for a wee bit less, um, but I think when they were bought, they had a year of parachute payments remaining. Whoever's a buying buying uh, Sunderland Football Club in 2020 was acquiring a club which had zero parachute payments due to them in the future. Yeah, well, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be the the next and possibly final question. So th- thanks so much for giving us so much of your time. Essentially, um, what I was going to ask was, let's, um, let's, let's say that obviously we've got, we've got the pandemic going on currently, which is, it's going to hit, it's going to hit every football club in the country, no matter whether you're Manchester City or Macclesfield, it's, it's going to hit every single team, every single club, um, which probably it'll, it'll hit different ones in different ways, but, almost certainly it's going to impact people negatively. So what, in your opinion, how do you think the financial outlook looks for someone, given that after this summer we've got no more parachute payments? Um, yes, we've got assets in terms of the stadium and the Academy of Life, but they, they'll they come with really high fixed costs. Um, we know of certain players who no longer pay, play for the club but continue to be paid. Um on the flip side, if football does come back anytime soon, we still we've got the biggest ground in the division. We presumably have some of the highest merchandise of revenue. What what would you say the outlook is for Sunderland currently? Um, I, I think it's it's very challenging, um, and uh, as you said, Chris, the club has got high fixed costs. It, when when you're looking to take over a business, you, you're looking to see well how is it going to generate cash. How's, how's, how's cash going to come in? With the football club, you've got match day. Well, realistically, we know that there's no football's going to return before paying audience this season. The more noise that's coming out is that we're being set up for nothing's going to happen in 2020-21 either. And I, I don't think that's being unrealistic. Um, so no, no chance of match day income for further 12 months. In terms of broadcasting, um, how are Sky going to feel uh, in terms of the money they give is a part of the EFL deal. Now, if you are an EF, if you're a League One club, uh, you get around about 12% of the total uh, Sky EFL deal. So F- Sunderland's income, assuming that they're not promoted, um, that's going to drop from around about £14 million from broadcasting this season, which is their final instalment of parachute payments, to yeah, around about £1.2 million. Um, and then finally, you've got your commercial sponsors. Well, you're not going to pay for perimeter advertising. You're not going to pay for hospitality boxes. You're not going to pay for to have your products set set aside next to Sunderland Football Club's players because you might have nothing to sell because people can't buy from you and, and you don't have money. So all, all of the main streams of income have gone. What else can we possibly do? We can sell players. I've got to be honest, Chris, I, and I don't know enough about the 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 quality of the squad. Um, the, the the transfer market is going to collapse in the lower leagues. Yeah, because who who are you going to sell to? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've just there's been 
we'll not go into why there's been a bit of uproar attached to it, but Sunderland have appeared to be close to selling a 16-year-old striker for around £250,000. Would it be unreasonable to suggest that that'll be one of the highest, if not the highest fee we'll receive for quite some time if we stay in this division? I think in League One, yes. I mean, what you will find is that the Premier League clubs will be like vultures picking over carcasses. And, you know, they they will be able to say, well, you know, we've got a good academy ourselves. Um, you know, we're not going to pay more than £250,000 because there's also some really good players in the Championship who uh, where, where we know the clubs are desperate to sell as well because the Championship's a car crash of a division financially. Uh, the, any... Any football club with a strong balance sheet, any football club with cash in the bank at present will really be able to exploit the market. And you, know, you might have this, this lad might be fantastic and be a huge prospect. But if, if Sunderland need to pay the wage bill in June, July and August, you're going to accept 250 grand because that will that will help out. And that's regardless of who, who owns the club. Yeah. Okay, I tell you what, I said that was the last question, but I've got one more because we kind of touched on it there. Um, and I promise I won't keep you any longer than that. Um, essentially, yeah, so I think we're both in agreement, and I would assume everyone is, that certainly, uh, well, not even getting fans in the ground, we're not going to see any more, any more League One football this year. Now, next year, the um, suggestion has been that either all or a vast chunk of the season will be played behind closed doors. How is that? Base, bear in mind that, as you've just highlighted there, that the broadcast income for clubs at this level is so small. The vast majority of clubs receive the vast majority of their revenue from people coming through the gate, buying a ticket, buying a pie and a pint and whatever else. I suppose the question is... Do you think that League One football behind closed doors is financially viable? Um, no, it's not. Um, that's that. That's the bad news. Uh, depending upon where we are, but if uh, if the if the only way that uh, matches can take place is if players are being tested once or twice a week, then simply the the, the physical cost of testing and putting on a match would exceed revenues. So if, if, I was a, if I was a League One owner, and, and you know, we, we have to accept the majority of League One clubs are operating on grounds or crowds of you know, three to 6,000, um, that money is their, is their lifeblood. They, they don't, in the main, have rich owners. Uh, if, if I was a League One or League Two owner, I would probably say, let's just, let's just try and batten down the hatches. Let's put ourselves into, into deep freeze until we come away out of this accursed disease in, into some form of society where you and I can meet in a pub and have a drink. And, yeah. and we're, we're a long way from that yet. We're a long way from a vaccine. I think the prospect of um, any form of mass gatherings uh, between people are a long way off because of the, the potential consequences. Uh, we, we've seen in, in South Korea, which has been one of the most successful countries in the world, um, yeah, they've started to relax some of the rules, and they, remember they've not had a close down, but even so, they've had uh, yeah they've had a, a flare up because of what happened in a nightclub. Uh, you, you put even even if you know crowds are down next season, even if you're just getting you know twenty thousand turning up at the at, uh, at the Stadium of Light, that's that's too many, I think, for the government to be able to give the green light to. Okay, um, that's an unfortunately bleak message, but I don't really think. Um... I certainly don't disagree, and I, and I think 
in fairness, I think it's good to highlight this because um, ultimately um, it might be a long time before we get to watch football. And I think the more prepared people are for that, the better. Uh, Kieran, that's been absolutely brilliant. Um, thank you so much. Um, hopefully everyone listening um, can take that as an objective objective view on things. Um, and, and yeah, Kieran, thank you very much. Well, th- thanks very much, Chris. And uh, I just hope for everybody's sake that you know, we're all staying safe and we-, we get back to the game we love because I think uh, the last two months has made me realise that I also never took the game for granted. By God, I miss it so much. And it's, and it's not the football, is it? It's, it's the people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's the great thing about the game. Yeah, well, that's funny. Do, doing these podcasts have kind of... Um, they've certainly kept us seeing and we we hope people listening um it's probably driving people who are listening insane so hopefully hearing you talk about this might be a bit a bit of sanity amongst the madness so thanks to uh kieran and, and chris obviously for conducting that discussion um obviously it's probably going to be far too high level for us to even comment on <laughs> so we won't. I mean, no, yeah, we haven't heard it numbers. yet, to be honest. It's not been recorded yet, so that'll just be dropped in there. I'll, I'll Stephen here to want to do that when I like. Yeah, don't don't make it look behind the, the secrets. The secrets. No. That's how it works. People just, you know, <laughs> bodge it together and then pretend. That's that's a bit like that's just life, isn't it? Really, um, <laughs> <laughs> that is Sunderland Football Club as well. Um, but yeah, we always do plug. We're always plugging uh, from the terraces, who I believe are back in business. Um, so get yourself to from the terraces. I don't know if the code's still working, but you know, might try it in the basket. See, do we have ten, ten percent of your basket? Um, but if not, just you know, buy some stuff on there anyway. So some lovely cargo shorts available, um, which look like a delight for sitting in your garden or on your doorstep. <laughs> Or for wearing during your state issue exercise, um, or playing football in the park with one of your parents, but from <laughs> a two meter distance or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do that if you want. Um, other businesses, anyone you want to plug? Who we didn't plug last time? Uh, yes. Um, got st- I like stuff. <laughs> I've got two. I've got two. Uh, I've got one Sunland and one not Sunland. Uh, Pop Rex is selling a load of uh, Frankie Francis's uh, business enterprise colleagues. colleagues. Um, they're selling a load of uh, like really cool uh, Sunland, well Sunland t-shirts, and then um, they're doing their own coffee, so you can buy a bag of coffee and a lovely Sunland mug, which are really like. Ooh. Snazzy, and then also a lot of Pop Rex uh, merchandise, which is available on. Well, I uh, I assume it's on their website, but I there's a link on their Instagram feed as well, uh, and also um, for people based outside. Well, people based in the Manchester area, the uh, the home of the Mank Pod, Port Street Beer House, has opened a uh, like an online shop um, where you just put your order in, and every Friday and every Wednesday they have like. Um, a pickup slot, and you can uh, you can go down and pick it up. Do some absolutely tremendous beers from Belgium, Germany, America. Just I, I did it on Friday, and since since the German football's back this weekend, maybe go help yourself to 
for lovely cans of uh, of uh, fru kolsch, which I did last week. So yeah, Port Street Beer House. Well, on that actually, so as you know, the um, a lot of um, businesses who would always usually trade in wholesale and sell business to business are now selling to the public because they have to stay stay alive. Um, and due to the fact, obviously, you know, being a massive Paderborn fan. As you know, I am Tom. Um, looking forward oh, yeah, to the um, looking forward to the game on on Saturday. Um, and we're, Who are they we're playing? About having German de, um, Fortuna Düsseldorf. No, good, good, good. Um, yeah, I can't remember. It's been so long, Tom. It's been so long. I'm not really interested <laughs> in other teams. On, only no. my own Paderborn 07. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so the you know on, talking about having a German day and all that, buying German beers and. German food. Well, I took to the internet and found the Sausage Man. Yes. Now, now the Sausage Man um, overnight express delivery um, on all types of sausages, amazing <laughs> German sausages. So, if you want to get yourself some German sausages, uh, check out the Sausage Man. Um, Does, just Google the Sausage Man, and he will is be that there. A UK thing. Like yeah, it is, yeah. yeah, it's based. It's but yeah, yeah. So I, I ordered mine on. Uh, if you're down south, I think they do like, um, like in the Kent area and stuff. I think where they're based, so like travel around and like, like drop them off in a van for you. But yeah, wow. so I ordered. Me and a friend ordered fifty sausages. <laughs> uh, so I hope he's got like one of those. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hope he's got one of those like Wienermobiles, which is just like a big. Sausage on wheels. Sausage, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm hoping that's how it's delivered. Um, and I also use somewhere called the German Deli, UK, which you probably won't get a delivery slot for now. Um, but they had some lovely German produce. So if you want to have yourself a German party with a Bundesliga coming up, go to one of those vendors for some lovely, <laughs> um, delicious German foodage goodness. Yeah. So we're going to find out if my beer's been delivered from the beer place I ordered from last week. And if it Ooh. is, I'll give them a plug on the next time I'm on. Alright. What you got on order? I can't remember, to be honest. <laughs> be, a surprise. be a surprise. I've got a um I've got a I've got some of the, the Kolsch. Yes, good. Got some um got some some Hofbrau originals. Oh nice. Um I can't remember what else. I think I got some Augustina. Uh the Edelstoff, I oh, yeah. think it was. Um and I can't remember the other ones. Um, but yeah, I was also very much looking forward to uh, German Day because obviously my team is Cologne. But then the club <laughs> decided to partner yeah. up with Cologne, and they've just ruined it for me. So they have um, ruined it. Thank you, uh, thank you, Sunderland AFC, for not letting me have anything yeah. nice. The, the Sunderland fan from Bury, um, who's in Sunderland, have ruined the German team for you as well. So it's just a, a yeah. cavalcade of nonsense for for Tom. Um, <laughs> But you know, I'm sure he'll get over it. He can always join me and Matthew if he wants to as Paderbornians. Well, uh, Harvestoon Bre- got Harvestoon Brewery that I got some Shahalian from there. They've delivered in like two days, so have a look on there. The Harvestoon Brewery, as you can see, Tom, as I'm showing you there, the ca- the can is black and blue. Oh, just like Paderborn. Which is just like Paderborn. That's not why I bought. It. I just en- I was enjoying it. So fantastic. Um, but yeah, thanks uh, for listening to that, um, and I'm sure. You know, if you've got any questions about anything that's been raised, get in touch um, on Twitter, um, and I'm sure we'll be able to direct the questions Chris's way, um, and he can 
bore you with it as well as us. <laughs> um, in the meantime, feel free to use any of those vendors, and if you're a bit tight for cash at the moment, borrow it off somebody else, buy the items, and then write the money off. Thanks for listening. Bye.